What's up, Creighton fans? Uh, Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review here with Johnny Atala from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, sitting in the media room, um, dissecting a, one of the more improbable ones. Uh, Creighton gets a 78-74 win over Providence to um, pick, themselves up, pick themselves up at the deck after a, a loss at Georgetown. I think that was can be classified as disappointing. Yeah. Um, and they rally from a five-point deficit in the final minute, 41. Outscored the Friars 9 nothing down the stretch. Some big plays by Tyshawn Alexander and Marcus Zagorowski, uh, who definitely were playing at less than 100%. Um, but nonetheless, it's a W. Uh, crazy environment, crazy comeback. Um, one that I think is going to be hard to forget. Uh, even as the years go by, this one will be referred to quite a bit um, as one of those like Quest Center slash Century League Center slash CHIL Center Magic type of games type of finishes. Um, Mr. Niatawa, as a you know, only been on the beat for three years, so your sample size is a little bit smaller. But where does yeah. this one like rank in terms of memorable, just improbable? Um, seemed like they were left for dead, and then all of a sudden, here comes the last burst of life out of a Creighton team. Yeah, right, right. I, like, I don't. Th- I think it's number one in terms of that category. With just in, because, like, all the heroics, if you want to say, um, the memorable moments happened in the final at the end, mm-hmm. the very end. Like Creighton's had some good comebacks since I've been on the beat. And we've talked. We talked a little about a few before we started recording. But I mean, the Nova one sticks out because they were down eight mm-hmm. with like four and a half minutes ago. That was two years ago. Down eight with like four and a half minutes left, and you're thinking, I mean, Nova doesn't lose this, these games, and that was a Nova team that ended up they didn't lose again after that and won the national title with like four draft picks, NBA draft picks um, on the team. But Creighton found a way to win that. So that to me, that was. But it didn't happen like this. No. You know, that one was a, a down the stretch, making plays, finding a way to uh, take the lead, and then um, won it in overtime. This one was, you know, I don't know what the win probability was for Creighton, but I'm guessing well, it was it's, like, it's we're funny. talking about like 2%. Yeah. If the, like, well, I mean, they it's funny because if game. you look at the data, like you talk about win probability, but like we're talking about win probability is like time score as the only circumstances, but it's time score. Tyshawn being injured, Marcus right. being sick, like those are other factors that went into and it. Bishop when you talk about the yeah, yeah. trouble and yeah. when you talk about the Villanova game, that was they had every they had yeah all they, they had Ronnie Harrell not playing that yeah, game, but true. I mean they the the circumstances were they still had an NBA player on the floor, um, arguably one in Jacob Everson that could have be could have been one that was at least a, a prospect at the time, um, and, and then Marcus Foster, player yeah. Foster, yeah, like they were they were they had their best punches, I guess, in the bag that game. Yeah, this one they didn't, and they still found a way to do it. Yeah, um, I'm not 100 percent sure how they made those shots, man. Like, you, you catch a glimpse of Alexander after the game. I mean, yeah. he's like limping hard, right, carrying a bag of ice out of the arena as he left. I mean, there were moments. Mark, Marcus Segarowski looked like he didn't, like he could barely walk, like he just making his way. Out, like those guys, I don't. I mean, that's that's what adrenaline does, I guess. Yeah, and, that it was on the their moment. shoulders. Like the fact that they're in the condition they are still, mm-hmm. especially after the game. You're wondering how did that, how did those human beings pull that off? <laughs> right. I think that's the great thing about like sports and 
and you mentioned adrenaline and just but like getting to witness that is I think what makes it mo- the most incredible part because like you see what they're going for. I mean, Tyshawn had moments in the game where he couldn't even hold back tears. He was in so much pain and he couldn't even, you know, barely uh, half jog after the guy he's supposed to be guarding on a certain possession. Like, and, and you know, you asked Damian Jefferson after the game um, outside the locker room about how, you know, how Tyshawn was able to dig through that. And he referenced a moment where, um, where Tyshawn admitted to him that he wasn't, he didn't know if he was going to be able to do it. Um, and yet, in Creighton's most dire moment, when when the game literally slipped through their hands, it felt like you know Denzel loses that rebound. David Duke gets a second chance at the free throw line, hits yeah. two to put him up five. He comes down, banks that three. They get a stop. He comes down, ties it, um, and then Marcus Zagorowski, who you know had probably you could argue his worst game of the year. Um, in He's terms never of, had six turnovers. Six turnovers. Yeah, six turnovers. Yeah. This career high. Uh, He's 0 for 5 from the floor in the second half. Right. You know, like, that was not his best for obvious reasons. Um, Then for him to come down and when you watch the play, it's like, you know he made a read and you know he made a decision. But, like, I think what what is jarring about watching it over is, like, how quickly he made that decision. Because he literally comes down in the flow of just, like, moving the ball up the court and then makes a quick little, like... I think he made the decision at half court that he was shooting it. Okay. Because, like, he got the inbounds pass and was trying to get it to Tyshawn and... I don't know if, if it was Duke on Tyshawn. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Duke. Whoever it was, like, denied it. And Tyshawn couldn't get the ball. And then, like, he saw, I saw Zagorowski sort of, like, move his head over to where he wanted Tyshawn to go. And Tyshawn didn't go. And then I, he kind of just was like, okay, I got this. And then but, just, like, turned his head. And then he goes up the court. Yeah. And I'm sure think about if, the I'm guts, sure, Think about the guts in the – Well, what I'm saying is – To be feeling I, the yeah. way you're feeling, to be playing the way he had been playing. And it's like, the game's on the line. I'm just going to do this. Like, he just kind of forgot – the first 39 minutes and, yeah. and 58 right. seconds of the game, essentially, and rose up and, and pulled for the game winner, yeah. essentially, and nailed it. And that was an incredible, uh, incredible shot yeah. by him and incredible shots by Tyshawn. I mean, really, you can kind of, like, I think Creighton scored on 12 of its last 14 possessions. Yeah, so you, like, let's talk about, like, how they came back from the dead because... They had a 49-43 lead with 15-56 left. And on their next 13 possessions, I think. This is going to sound really bad when I count it out. So four. I think it was 13 possessions. They turned it over six times. And only scored twice. If I'm counting that right. Am I doing that right? I have, was ele- it ele- I have 11 possessions. 11 possessions. So six turnovers. Four points and 11 possessions. Six turnovers. Yeah. Two of six from the floor. Two of eight from the floor. Yeah. And, and that uh, gave the Providence six, a six-point lead turned into a four-point deficit. Correct. Providence so, outscored them, I think, fourteen to four. Yep. Over a nearly eight-minute stretch. So you're, you and know, like, after that eight-minute stretch, the Jays are down four. Um, yeah, and then they go, and then they turn it back on. Then Christian Bishop gets an offensive rebound bucket, misses a free throw on the foul. Um, I think he turns it over the next possession. Mitch hits a big three, end of the shot clock, broken possession. Um, fires up from about 28 feet over a defender, nails it. I think that at that moment, too, I'm trying to think, well, let's see if I can isolate when that happened. I can't remember how much time 656 left. Okay. Uh, the crowd 50, came alive at that yeah. moment. I felt like everybody that woke up the crowd. I think because the everybody think, got because because of that lull, that stretch mm-hmm. where Creighton originally wasn't really a lot to cheer about. Creighton lost the lead. 
Providence turn is ahead, turn it over. It's just kind of making silly plays, not being comfortable, giving up offensive boards. And Providence had all the momentum. And, um, yeah, like that shot sort of resurrected him. Yeah, that was like we're back from the dead yeah. kind of. But, like, and then Tyshawn goes three-point play bucket. Denzel Mahoney gets a couple. He uh, had, I think he had three good post-up situations where he got to the free-throw line, drew fouls. Yeah, he, um, he had two of them. Tyshawn had back-to-back takes left, driving left, mm-hmm. which I thought was notable because yeah. – uh, He's in right-hand down there. Right right, yep. Yeah. And then, you know, even after all that, um, where they yeah, pretty oh, you're much right, – You're right. Denzel did have three. He, he was five or six from the line. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He had three good post-up draw fouls. And that was, like, by design. Creighton was trying to isolate him yeah. on small – because he was – Drawing a smaller defender. It was either time, White so. or uh, Pipkins guarding him. Yeah, a lot of those times. Actually, I think they tra- and then Providence went zone to kind of stop that, and <laughs> they threw the they did the, the the lob play behind the zone to yep. Denzel, which I thought was odd because he, he's, he's not he's a, not above, above the rim. The rim player. No. <laughs> yeah, but they threw it up there. I think that ended up in a turnover. I'm not no, it didn't. Did uh, Damian Jefferson, Damian Jefferson got it. Missed the putback, got his rebound, and then got fouled yeah. one or two from the line. Which was a typical day for Damian Jefferson. I know we're kind of all over the map here, but Damian uh, was huge today. I mean, 11 points, 10 boards. I think he had six, if I'm not mistaken. Seven offensive rebounds uh, for Creighton. Seven of their 15 came from yeah. six foot five Damian Jefferson, which kind of like goes to like the whole – I think I said this during the game, but like the size of the fight and the fighter, not necessarily the size of – the fighter itself, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, he was clearly outsized, outmuscled in there, but I felt like he was first to it. Even if he didn't get it, he was first to it a lot of the time. And I think a lot of people might be surprised to hear Ed Cooley say that his team got, um, you know, out tough today, considering how many – they had yeah, 19 seconds. I don't, I don't, bo- I don't I believe didn't that. believe that coming back, that. but I think – I think he's. Maybe I think what's going about. through his mind is when he sees that Damian Jefferson had seven offensive boards at yeah. six foot five. He's probably thinking, or he sees that Creighton had fifteen offensive rebounds, and or he um, sees that Creighton scored on twelve of its final fourteen possessions. Yeah, you know, like there's there's I, a I, toughness I, factor to playing defense, guarding the ball, keeping a team out of the paint, or you know, forcing them to miss shots mm-hmm. by just being, uh, being where you need to be, like. You know, if Providence had that last play to play all over again, they would not have sagged off Marcus Sagarowski. Like you don't do sure. that. That was a mistake. Um, when you look at, but go on. Uh, yeah, when you look at down the stretch of like the way the game was played down the stretch, it almost felt like there was a role reversal because Creighton, everything, everything Creighton was getting was tough, and David Duke was kind of like just in a zone. So it felt like they had a guy on a ridiculous heat check offensively, and he was carrying it down the stretch. Whereas everything Creighton had was from. Denzel Mahoney posting up at six foot five right. in the block yeah. and scoring. Damian Jefferson getting second chance points. Tyshawn getting to the rim right. and just you know scoring off sheer will when he's um, when when his knee was hurt. Um, and then Marcus Zagorowski obviously having the game he had and then hitting the game winner. Um, you know, and then Tyshawn coming up and intercepting the uh, the ensuing inbounds oh, pass and he's hit the face. I wonder. Like, oh, let's Denzel digging in. I was going oh, yeah. to bring up Denzel because he had. Play on Duke. I, thought, I thought he had two. Big plays on the stretch. Um, one was obviously the he was defending Duke. Did, did Ed Cooley kind of hint that he thought there should have been a foul there, or what was he hinting at? at the I'm not really sure what he was going. Uh, he was like talking about the like the is, turnover in a really Ed Cooley swag kind of way. Like, yeah, I don't know if he was hinting at a turn at a at a foul or if I didn't he, see a foul. Thought, um, unless unless Denzel after he fell kind of swiped at the ball and hit Duke. I'm not sure, but anyway, yeah. Denzel did a good job of cutting off the driving lane. Duke lost control of the ball. Denzel. Hit, 
picked it up, and I thought that was obviously it's a big play. Mm-hmm. A one-on-one situation. They moved Denzel to Duke. I think they moved him the possession before. Did they? I thought it was because, his first one. Did because Tyshawn was guarding Diallo, and Diallo <coughs> got the ball and, and decided to shoot a jump shot. And, like There was only like four seconds on the shot clock at the time, but he shot a jumper and missed it. Um, but, yeah, so then Denzel made that play. But – Denzel was like face guarding Diallo after Creighton went ahead after Zagorowski hit the shot. Um, it's seventy seven seventy four, and Providence has the inbound has the inbound the ball into Creighton's basket. And Denzel, did, I thought, did a really good job of shadowing or, or face guarding Diallo at like the free throw line, Creighton's free throw line, and forcing a pass over the top. So instead of a pass, sort of like meeting Diallo as he's running or. How, I'm not exactly sure what the design of the play was, but he made it tough for Diallo to catch, and, and ultimately the pass was too long, and, and Tyshawn could intercept it. So I thought Denzel made a couple of really good plays defensively um, that helped, obviously helped them win. Which is, maybe, you and know, he was not really total... good. Oh, the other thing, too, I was going to say, this mm-hmm. wasn't down the stretch or in the final moments, but I thought he was really good keeping the ball out of uh, Khalif Young's hands. Yeah late in the game just like I mean I was really pushing surprised him out of the, the way pain, they were basically. able to keep the ball out of Watson and Young's hands like they didn't get many opportunities not, not, on, not, not in like post up situations right. I mean they got some offensive boards at times but uh you know after I think I think Young had a really good a really easy one on a, on a little ball screen that based on a bounds play where oh, yeah. he got a clean dunk but I think that was like the easiest opportunity they right. had other than them just getting offensive boards and putting it back I didn't feel like they had anything that was by design that came easy yeah. for them. Yeah. Now, to be fair, um, Providence made a lot of shots down the stretch, too. So there weren't many offensive rebound for opportunities. Sure. For sure. Uh, because David Duke was on fire. He was. But still, uh, yeah, you credit the Jays for – I think uh, one of those coolies quote, he said something like, they plugged up the lane all night and mm-hmm. we had to shoot threes. And they, they actually did shoot a decent percentage. They did. Largely because of – Really throughout Duke. the game. Honestly, they, they started out really hot and then they kind of got away from it a little bit which I think was how Creighton was able to maybe take over the game in that middle area. Um, but then Duke caught fire again, and yeah. um, they started knocking down some big threes. I think Pipkins had a couple. Yeah, he was three for eight. Uh, that that kind of, like, gave Providence control of the game a little bit. Um, they had – I thought Providence but, had two incredibly great – like, Duke came up, hit that shot off the – up top of the key, maybe Creighton went under a screen or something. It like hit every part of the rim and dropped in and mm-hmm. gave him a lead. But the next two possessions, I thought were awesome. That actually, you know what I'm? Uh, who posted up? Was it Diallo? Diallo might have posted up and Creighton doubled him. And, and then the, and the, everybody ro- rotated. Yeah, and, that's and the ball it. movement, the ball just like whipped around the, the yeah. perimeter and found Duke. And he was the and guy who was, was on, open. I think he was on Mitch at the time. By the time they Mitch, were done, ro- Mitch had a. By the time they were done rotating, Mitch but, was the closeout. Right, it, but it was a tough spot to be yeah. in. I think that you credit Providence mm-hmm. um, for for doing what it did for constantly making the extra pass until you found the. Yeah, hot so that was one yeah. possession to hit. That was second three in a row for Duke, and then the third they ran a screen um, that I think, or they ran a play that where I think DJ got screened and either fell down or just got clipped by it and couldn't mm-hmm. get to Duke fast enough. I thought that was a really good designed play that that obviously got the Jays and got them I mean, and gave Duke another open shot. So Providence execute Providence's execution was really good until probably the final ninety seconds. Honestly, like they did everything they needed to when they were up by five. Yeah, with ninety seconds left, and then and then uh, 
they weren't able to close it out, but obviously Creighton made some big time shots. Mm-hmm. Um, two performances other than uh, Zagorowski and Alexander, obviously, but uh, Mitch Ballack, obviously, he says he wasn't hunting shots. It looked like he was hunting shots. I mean, his first two were from thirty feet out, like each side of the court as well. He hit the he, hit, he missed the first one. Um, which he said, I think, came out of his hand wrong. He knew it was bad the minute he shot it. But the second one, I think a couple possessions later, he nailed that one to get going. Um, it, looked like, it just looked like he was more aggressive. And obviously that was something they talked about after the Georgetown game was they felt like he passed up some good looks, uh, yeah. you know, in an attempt to get greater looks. But that no, the possession didn't always end up that way. So his look ended up being the, the one, the opportunity that they wanted. So... You know, he kind of had to go through some self-evaluation again of trying to ratchet up the proper aggressiveness while also taking shots that he feel like, feels like are smart and within the offense. Um, what did you think about his his first half specifically? Because obviously Providence made an adjustment by putting their best perimeter defender in David Duke on him in the David second Duke half, so it made it tougher for him to get looks on the perimeter that he got in the first half. The thing about Mitch is like, and then he made the play at the end where he was, did he, did he get a ball screen? I think he did. And then found Alexander mm-hmm. for the three. Yeah, I, I I like the ball. I like it when he has the ball in his hands, and I know that he doesn't. I was thinking that during the game, didn't you feel like maybe since Marcus isn't right, you're obviously not Sharif Mitchell. Obviously, isn't the type of point guard who can run the offense. I was wondering if Creighton might go to Mitch at that spot and let him. But they ended up just kind of isoing Tyshawn, and then they isoed yeah Denzel. So. They didn't really play, but I mean, they did at the end that that, yeah. that possession where it was they were down five and they kind of played through. Mitch but doesn't a he really bit. have everything that you want in a point guard? A lowest, well, a low. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot. He's really good with the dribble. He's got good handles, and I think and he can make smart plays with it. Like yeah, I think it, he's really clever in, especially navigating around screens. Like, like he killed Xavier, in, yeah. in, in that game, um, recognizing where the bigs were or where they weren't. I guess. I mean, that one play, uh, Scruggs was chasing him around. On a, he rose up for a shot and then decided, uh, let me just pass it, pass, dumped it off to Bishop, and then immediately curled right around Bishop and got the pass back and drained a three. I mean, like he he's really clever in his ability to create space and find ways to score. And so, yeah, he, there are times when he is maybe a little bit too unselfish, but he certainly has it in him to um, to have that. Like he has that scorer's mentality when when he's. Um, I guess when he's feeling good, is that is that it? I don't know. Is it a playmaker's mentality or is it a scorer's mentality? Well, I think I think he has a good plan. I think he has both. I think okay. he has. I think he does have a scorer's mentality. He just because I don't think he has a scorer's. mentality. You don't think so? Because I think when but he's, it, I think it when shows he, up, I think, when he, I think when he's scoring, he thinks that's the smartest play to make right now. Like, and he just it's, yeah. it's made for himself. Okay, I just think he's got a playmaker's mentality where he's like, I can manipulate enough space here to get a good clean look off, and that's going to be our best bet right now. Versus. Okay, I might be in rhythm on a catch right now, but there's not. There, I don't feel like there's enough space to do it. Let me shot fake and drive and see if I can find something within the the rotation of the defense to get a better look out of this. Like yeah. I think he's just a playmaker. I think he just constantly is trying to make. Every time he touches it, I think he's just trying to make a play, whether it's for himself or somebody else. I don't think he ever feels like I gotta get something up because he just won't. Either he either won't admit it off the record or on the record. But that's what I gather because he'll go in like in, you know huge stretches of the game where he won't get a shot up, and I think he's just he settles into that playmaker's mentality where he feels like he can get something good for everyone around him, and then forgets the fact that he's a dead on 
yeah. sniper from ridiculous range. You know what I mean? Uh, he, I mean, that's just my take. Right, right. Uh, but you know, he is not. He, it's not like he's Steph Curry here in terms of his ability to create. You know, like he he's a okay. good he's a good player. I, I <clears> like him, and he's a great shooter. But when you put length and athleticism on him, that neutralizes a lot of what he does in a one-on-one setting, you know? Um, You know, Georgetown put... uh, Who did they have on him? I thought it was Uh, Mosley most of the time. No, I thought it was... uh, Number one. I thought Pickett had it. Was Pickett guarding him all? I thought Pickett had him. Mm -hmm. Duke had him. um, Yeah, Duke had him in the second half, for sure. Duke's a good defender. Um... I don't know, man. Like, I think he's done a better job of, of doing other things, finding different ways to score. But mm-hmm. I, um, it does become difficult. I feel like for him to, because he know. I think he knows that he knows the difference between a good shot and a great shot. But I don't know if he's fully figured out that that like a good shot for him is actually a great shot. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and, a and good so, like you said. I think you said it yesterday. An okay shot. Yeah, maybe it's an okay match. shot. Yeah, an okay like, shot is even a great shot sometimes right. because of the pro- proficiency with which he shoots it. Like, yeah, that's that's something that maybe isn't in his mind as much, just because it doesn't feel like that's the when he, he's thinking about and when, it. And, and, basketball and I guess what I'm so yeah, I guess what I was thinking is like with great I think with a good defender or a great defender on him, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough for him to get great shots. Sure, like he's going to have to take some okay shots mm-hmm. like the deep three he shot at the end that was like an okay for mitch it was a great shot yeah. but generals generally speaking it was an okay shot now then again it was probably a good shot with the shot clock situation you know, down that was just like one where like, there's no it's a non-negotiable there, it has to yeah, go up. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing really that they could do <laughs> yeah but uh but yeah i think that's I, maybe that's what the point i was trying to make is like he uh, when teams put like their top defender on him, or or somebody with a lot of length and athleticism, it mm-hmm. takes away a lot of his like really, really, really good looks. So he has to find other ways to score, and a lot of times it means he's going to have to take okay looks. Yes, but those are still, but which is weird because those are still pretty right. dang good for him. Here's you know, so. yeah, here's the thing I think he did today was he forced Providence's hand because they didn't put they wanted Duke guarding Tyshawn and Marcus. First and foremost, what Mitch did by being aggressive in the first half was force Providence to put Duke on him, which puts a lesser defender on Tyshawn and Marcus. Yeah. So, like, I feel like just when you look at the second half, I mean, Tyshawn had uh, 15 of his 24, and he only missed one shot the second half. But Duke is chasing Balak around the whole time. Yeah, there were not, moments. Not there were moments when you just saw, like, I think it was Duke. He's just, I mean, he's glued to Balak. Like, yeah. Tyshawn's driving in the lane and nobody's coming to help because they're all glued to everybody else. Exactly. So, um, so I think that's what ba- yeah. what Mitch like uh, uh, something that Mitch can do better is being more aggressive on the outside because he's not going to draw that top defender right away and make the other team adjust and put that top defender on you, which opens which makes it easier just from a length standpoint on the perimeter for Marcus and Tyshawn to navigate ball screens because they are really good playmakers too. Yeah. Um, and also get their own offense. And I think that's what opened things up in the second half for Tyshawn specifically uh, was Mitch being aggressive in the first half and looking for his own offense um, because it forced Providence to put their best defender on him instead of Tyshawn. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, should we get to questions, or do you want to touch on anybody else? I thought you said that we you were going to bring another player into the mix, but uh, maybe not. Well, we talked about Denzel. Um, 
Marcus and Ty and then yeah, Damian and Mitch and Damian, Damian, yeah, that's like the whole team. Basically, <laughs> just ran down everybody yeah. that played. Kelvin basically. Jones is hurt or hurt, hurt injured his again. ankle. So, yeah. I mean, just that he's kind of been doing that over the course of the year. I don't think Unfortunately. my my read is that it's nothing any more severe than it has been. So they're just going to try to get him healthy uh, in time for Wednesday. They could definitely use him because yeah. the ball's dead. Um, how about the, def- uh, the defense on Diallo? Three for 13. Uh, I don't know. He, he didn't look right. There was something weird about him. Maybe that was cre- credit Creighton's defense for it. But mm. I thought he missed some he good missed looks some, early in the game. Maybe yeah. that affected his I mean, confidence. He missed some possibly. shots very badly. Like they're I think, the one, I think the one he hit was, was in the mid-range was like contested. I don't even know why he took it, but he yeah. made it. So that that was one that maybe should have boosted his confidence. But I think he missed an open three off of an offensive rebound kick out. Yeah. Um, but he was over three from deep, so he yeah, he just wasn't <clears throat> didn't have his normal aggressiveness because he didn't get the free throw line much. I think he got uh, an and one late on offensive rebound. Put yeah, back. he did. But other than that, I don't remember him being much. Tyshawn very smacked much. the crap out of him. I heard that smack <laughs> from across the court. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. That was a, a tough slap. And the other time was, uh, did he get to the free throw line when he hit Tyshawn's knee? When he, when they yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. No. So was that the other time? Was, was that, that on the floor? Did he get to the free throw line or was that on the floor? I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. I, I think it was on the floor. Okay. But yeah, I mean, just from an aggressive standpoint, he wasn't where they typically need him to be. Um, you know, some of that was great, and I thought, you know, Denzel, Damien, and Tyshawn did a good job defensively on him. Um, they just did a good job in general. Because when you, when you can stay in front of him, you can really take away. I thought they just did a good job in general of just guarding the ball. Duke aside. Duke aside. They did a good job of guarding the ball against some of those other playmakers. Yeah. I mean, they gave up some shots to Pipkins, but you can kind of live with those threes if, if that's always going to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then they kept, you know, like Malik White has been pretty good at getting downhill and yeah. drawing fouls at the rim and stuff like that, but he wasn't able to get going. And you mentioned Diallo, too. So I just thought uh, from a team defensive standpoint, they did pretty well. I was going to ask you something, though. They only forced nine turnovers. And, yeah, and it felt like the Jays had a piece within their defense because they were kind of scrappy and guard-oriented where they could force a few turnovers. Not that They're not gonna, never going to lead the league, but it does seem like over the the way the Big East has pointed out, like they haven't – that hasn't been a part of their defense at all. Yeah. Well, and do you, th- like, what do, you, do you think that that's – is one, that the way it is going to be? Mm, or can yeah. they – can they? The one thing from a game-to-game thing is I think they took – I think they took some chances at trying to force turnovers against Georgetown – and got themselves out of position as a result. Was that by um, design, you think? Or was that just them taking chances and then... Yeah, so I think that. that guy kind of reined in for this one. Like, okay. You know what I mean? If you're, you're going to take chances... Because Max always said, you know, going back to even the Kyrie years, if you're going to... Even when Kyrie was a young freshman at that time, he was like, if you're going to take chances, you better be sure you're going to get it. Because mm-hmm. what you do to the defense by putting yourself out of position compromises it to the point where we really can't get the stop on that play. And, and when you think about... Creighton's lack of rim protection, although Christian Bishop did try to destroy one ball today that he got a block on. Um, when you think about Creighton's lack of rim protection, their guards, if they're going to cheat for one, like it has to be a guaranteed pick six, you know, because yeah. otherwise they're not going to be able to stop anybody, especially a team that has the size and the athleticism to get downhill and, and finish through contact and get the bigs and foul trouble like Providence can. So I felt like staying in front of the ball and just staying sound and trying to be disruptive with that first line of defense was more of a priority today because I thought they got themselves out of position quite a bit against Georgetown and, 
and caught themselves in rotations too many times. Right, right. I can't remember what game it was where they had like 10 steals. And, oh man, I wish I could. Uh, was it Arizona State, perhaps? Maybe. No, they had no steals in Arizona uh, They had 10 steals against Marquette. Mm. And nine against Midland, so. Yeah. 19 I, going like, into league I'm, play. I'm, They've I'm, had five, six since then. Total? Uh, well, not County and Providence. They've had. They had nine against Georgetown. They had nine steals. Yeah. Some of that. So was they had ten steals cool. against Marquette, then they had one, two, and three right. <laughs> in the next three games. Because I, after, I remember after the Marquette the game, two. I was wondering, okay, you know, obviously Creighton's never going to lead the league in steals. It doesn't, that's not the way that his defense is sort of structured, as you kind of talked about. Mm. Uh, Max philosophy on that, but I thought force and turnovers could be something that they could be sort of average at, yeah. or 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 at least steals. You know that and that could be a way to kind of jumpstart their offense. It's like hey, get in the passing lane, knock the ball away from somebody, and it's a way to help nullify their lack of size inside because you, you mm. can double team with two guards and they they get handsy and, and take the ball away. And so, but that hasn't really in, in, it hasn't really yeah. proven. In, in it's not reliable. To, it's kind of even a game by game to game. We'll see if it matters or it hasn't if they can find a way to to get a few. But yeah, in fairness to uh, the ten steal performance against Marquette, Tyshawn had six of those. <laughs> so that was a bit of a aberration. But it wasn't all. Uh, like, the other was, and the other fact was the next two games were against Butler and Villanova, who just don't turn it over in any true. capacity. So. Yeah. Um, to figure that Creighton's perimeter defense is all of a sudden going to start stripping Colin Gillespie and Kamar Baldwin and right. Thompson. Yeah. Um, like that, the, the the teams that they've done it against, Marquette is a high turnover team. Villanova Butler are not. Right. Um, Georgetown is. But Providence is. Providence like, is a high yeah, turnover yeah, team. Yeah. And they, but yeah, they I, think, I, think, I think the way that they were compromised on the interior made Creighton a little bit more just focused on staying in front of the ball as opposed to disrupting the ball. Right. Um, should we get to questions? Yeah. I feel like we've knocked out most of what we need to knock out in terms of analysis. <clears throat> Let's see. Um, so there's a couple questions on why Marcus didn't start uh, early in the game. Um, so just to address that, like he was... Uh, I guess he said he started getting dizzy. Um, so there was some uncertainty about whether he would play at all because of um, that, but he ended up coming out finally after after the national anthem between the team for the starting introductions um, and had a little chat with Mac about whether he could go or not. And you know, just from the just from my viewpoint, he looked like he told Mac he was good to go. He was he had shaking it off and he was ready to go. Uh, obviously, he wasn't himself still, but he was good enough to play. So, I guess what would it take to keep Marcus Zagorowski out of a game? We know a broken hand will do three, right? And, but and that's that, a, a doctor's request. Right. No, he's technically, he played through he definitely it. came back in the game after a broken finger. So Yes. He broke it and then put a cast on it came back. Yeah. And had to sit out the next. Once they realized, oh, yeah, it is for yeah, real. Like, you can't let you play with that. <laughs> yeah. just, um, um, let's see. What would, I mean, a, like a broken bone in his leg. Yeah, something where he can't literally run or walk. Right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We know he got hit hard. Um, he got the, hit the hit, head thing. I guess Marquette yeah. shook that off. 
played the I mean, whole. Last year was he had them hit. The, yeah, messed like, up, so he didn't, basically, if if people knew what, if people took a tally of what Marcus Zagorowski has played through through his first one and a half years so far, um, yeah, it'd be pretty tough to find something that would keep him out, other than yeah. the fact that he's being forced to sit. And Tyson's pretty tough too, because yeah. like he um, he's only missed one. game. Has he missed one game in his whole career? And, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was just it. the. He like Villanova. stepped on a teammate's foot the day before the Villanova game last year his on knee. the road and tweaked his knee, but then he was back the next day. And he wasn't right. You could tell he wasn't right no. even when he came back. And honestly, he doesn't mispractice much either. I can't yeah. think. I'm trying to think of I know and Mitch is kind of the same way, but I, Mitch, right, missed a, Mitch missed a practice during a St. John's game on the road where he was really banged up. Um, they had him strapped to all kinds of Didn't he have like scenes. What, what, broken he shul- nose. Broken nose, shoulder, shoulder last year. Yeah, yeah, a lot of things. That was the only, oh, that's the only practice I can remember Mitch missing. Um, but I don't know if Tyshawn's missed one. I'm trying to think. Okay, he doesn't miss many. Yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, those, 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 those three are. Their three leaders are yeah. leading in a lot of different ways. And toughness is one of them. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Stephen Braden, just commenting in general. Uh, Steve says, that was a ballsy shot by MZ after the night he was having. Um, and then TSA coming up big also. Down the stretch, wow, what a finish. Uh, Braden went from depressed to exhilarated in just a few minutes. So nice having a quote unquote Marcus again for big shots in the following Marcus Foster League. But yeah, yeah, we talked about, you know, Marcus and Tyshawn, obviously. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I asked you, but like, what do you think is the most impressive part as you're trying to like chronicle that story in terms of the part of the season that it came in? Um, when you see the the kind of uncertainty before the game starts of Marcus Zagorowski's availability, and then you see how he starts the game with three turnovers in his first stint and six overall and not really shooting well or playing well. Um, and then obviously Tyshawn coming back from the knee and what he did on the stretch. Like both of those guys kind of just finding enough to pull out an improbable win. Like what yeah. stands out to you when you're trying to like chronicle that and – I don't know, man. Because like, it, is, it is only one game. It's, it is only one. And when you think about it, too, and Coach McDermott made the, this point, like, against Georgetown, they didn't hit the shots. Right. You know, like, Tyshawn, Alexander, and Mitch Ballack did. In a get, better condition than they were today right. to take them, right? They, they is, did get them back into the game late, but Tyshawn had missed a lot of good looks before that, and so had Mitch, and, and he turns down some, too. And uh, Marcus, while he was hitting, had a chance to put the Jays up one with, like, two minutes left. Very similar shot to the one he had tonight that he hit against Providence, and he missed it at Georgetown. So sometimes, I, but I, I will say, more times than not this year, those three, one of them at least, maybe even two, have delivered in the clutch. No shit, no doubt. Um, so what I think was like, I, I think you just got to tip your hat to them because like they yeah. put in the work and they take all these shots away from. They play a lot of minutes. They do it on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I mean, like. It's interesting because afterward, I'm thinking, yeah, that was improbable how Creighton did that and came back. But you know, we've how many times have you seen Marcus shoot that shot in practice and make mm-hmm. it like he hits that all the time? Tyshawn Raisin, that, that's that's a term they use when you're standing in the corner and then you sort of rise up to the yeah, lift, wing lift. lift. Yeah, yeah, he lift. I mean, they shoot they shoot the lift shot mm-hmm. like in their shot routine. Yes. Like after at the end, practice is over. It's one of their spots. Is practice like is over. Their, they yeah. shoot corner three. Sometimes they fade to the corner and shoot the three, and then they they call they slides. call them lifts. They Slide, call them slides, slides to the corner, the corner. lifts yeah. to the wing. So and then they shoot those corners threes, and then the next 
sequence of shot. I think a lot of times they try to make ten as a group, mm-hmm. and they um, they like split the guards in half and and make ten as a group, and then they go to the wing and they kind of raise up and, and shoot that wing shot. Like they shoot how many of those he shoot, shoots a day? All, a ton. So like that was just a normal. You see that all the time, and you know coincidentally the shot that he hit uh, tonight that tied it at seventy four reminded me very similar. It, it, Reminded me of the one he hit against Providence last year, mm. a banker. And he actually, I know a lot of people don't want me to bring this up or don't want to remember this on such a triumphant day for the Jays, but against Marquette last year, uh, before they blew the game, he had a big time sort of two foot of jump stop mm-hmm. bank off the glass that put them up three, I think, with yep. like 20 seconds or 30 seconds. 85 82 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. That's a shot he hits all the time, too. So, like, while it is, you, oh man, heck, you, you definitely commend them for their ability to fight through the pain and rise up when the game's on the line. But it's also just like that's kind of what they do. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's who they are. And they so could go on. They basically were operating. On it's almost kind of to me. Way. I was like more, I'm more surprised they didn't hit him against Georgetown. Yeah. Than that they did today because yeah. uh, you I mean, see hit some big ones so on the stretch, but he also missed one that would have tied it or given the lead. Mitch was missed one that would have definitely given them the lead in the trailer situation, um, which is another part of that that uh, drill you're talking about. Oh, yeah, the um, trail. They shoot those trail threes all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, just, um, I mean, when you hear make or miss, they made today. They missed last game. Right. What it comes down to for you. Right. And they made yep. against Xavier. Yep. They missed against Nova, but they made against Arizona State. And Texas Tech and Louisiana Tech. And, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, uh, Drew wants to know how many consecutive picks should he use on White Sox players in our fantasy baseball draft this year? Are there good White Sox players in the in the on the actual White Sox team? Or are they not? There, I mean, I think they're on the rise. I mean, Yasmani Grandal is one he should draft probably. Right? He'll he'll be good. I'm I'm so far away from baseball. Yeah, I know, right? Is that coming up? Oh, how many? We got time left, right? I don't know. When I did think, we draft? We drafted, thought, we drafted thought, during the NIT game last year, right? Yeah, I think Loyola? so. Yeah, okay. that's right. I so thought yeah, we got time. I thought MLB baseball just like totally blew up last week. Like the whole, the whole league's league in ruins. The sport right now. is they had not to rebuild. Yeah. I, that's what I th- that's what it felt like anyway. Yeah. So I kind of checked out. I don't know. The White Sox were implicated in it um, from 78 to 80. When did Lewis remember? 77 <laughs> right. to 83? So, yeah, yeah, Drew, I don't know. We'll see if you guys get sanctioned at all for that mm-hmm. from decades ago. No, they won't, but... I don't know. Draft as many White Sox players as you want because that definitely means you're not winning the league. Um, Darren wants to know... Uh, so, Darren said, what is crazy is that this game will probably go down in the memory banks of Jays fans for... A game people probably didn't have circled on their calendars to have memorable moments. Although they should have, because Providence Creighton games usually have these type of endings. Yes. Um, how many games like this end up being quote unquote key games for teams that make noise later in the season? Is the question at the end of that? Oh, what was the question? Uh, how um, many games like this end up being quote unquote key games for teams oh. that make noise later in the season? Yeah. Like how many of this like where where moments like this. You can revert back to later yeah. when you need it, and and when it gets to the do or die. Well, I I do think, I do think that there is something to like once you get into March. If you haven't done it before, like if you haven't made big time clutch shots and won big time games, 
it's <coughs> hard to just like find a way to do it right. when the game's on the line. Like if you've never been this, like then you need sort of you need practice. You don't, right? you don't have an established go-to guy. Who do you go to <laughs> yeah. in that moment if you don't have guys right. or people who have hit shots like that? How do you hit a game? You don't. That they yeah. if you haven't had people who have been in the moment, just sort of had that pressure of. You usually don't do it in March for the first time. Basically, is what you're saying. That's right? what I'm saying. Yeah. And so that's that's how it can help. Um, you know, like if you're if you're thinking about where Creighton needs to, if I don't know, I don't know if this is part of the question or not, but like, what does Creighton need to do to make sure it gets into March? Like nine and nine in league play. Yeah, I think that, so that's that gets the so, yeah. so, so like the, the fact that they won that today, yeah, state five hundred I mean, and five hundred league play. I mean, that's uh, from, from a specific standpoint. Yeah, if you're, um, if you're looking at that, like here's here's one. And you can uh, let me know if you if you if you find this to be credible or not. But like Tyshawn, I thought made a really interesting point in in the presser today, and I think it's something that I know I've forgotten. Not forgotten, but like I know it's a reality, but I've forgotten that it's like. And it was even something you mentioned the other day that, like Creighton, still is the second youngest team in the Big East. Um, I don't know if that's in terms of years or experience. I think it's, it's experience. Okay. That's Ken Palm's, like, sort So that, to me, is, like, a little bit surprising. And what Tyshawn mentioned today that I think – I know is something that I've taken for granted or forgotten, however you want to say it. Um, but Tyshawn and Mitch are juniors, and basically they're two-year starters, essentially. Marcus Zagorowski's in the middle of his sophomore year, and he's basically been starting for one full season at this point. And when you look at games started um, – and, and since he's been handed the reins, it's basically one full season at point guard. But those are the guys. Those are the guys that everybody on the team looks to, that feed off of, that they're the leaders, they're the guys taking the shots, they're the guys doing the most in the gym. Um, they're the ones setting the tone every day in practice, um, both vocally and by example. So what I think I gloss over sometimes is the fact that they're still kind of coming into their own as basketball players too mm-hmm. um because i think you mentioned a good uh, like a point that you always feel like guys by the time they get through their junior year they kind of are who they are so like there's still some maturation happening with mitch no tyshawn and marcus no i agree which i think i think sometimes i just like see them and i'm like finished product i know what to expect out of those guys but they still have some climbing to do a little bit so yeah. i think a moment like this for them to be able to dig deep and do it again, they've done it multiple times this season. Louisiana Tech game we mentioned, Texas Tech game. Um, I feel like Oklahoma in a certain to a certain extent, Arizona State definitely, uh, and then today are games that I feel like are part of the maturation process of those guys becoming just like, hey, don't worry about it, we got this. And he did. Tyshawn actually said, "Don't worry." In the presser too, he's like, yeah. "That's what he was thinking on the stretch of, don't worry, they're gonna don't hit panic. shots. We're yeah. gonna we're, we're gonna get shot. We're gonna get chances." Right. But I think I forget that sometimes is that those guys are still kind of growing into who they're going to become by the time they're done here. And so a moment like this, a game like this, where it was pretty improbable for them to pull it out in the manner that they did uh, against the odds that they did, both with what they're dealing with physically, um, was a pretty big stepping stone in terms of that maturation process. Yeah. And I think it'll only help as the season goes on. No, I agree. Does it? But is that something you've... Like, well, do you, do you just assume like they're just who they are, or no? Do you still, I, are, you, are you always conscious of the fact? No, that I, still kind I, of... I agree with you. With okay. What you said, and I was just going to build off it a little bit. It's just the other players sort of doing what they need to do, like mm-hmm. Damian Jefferson grabbing boards, constantly being there, uh, being like, active, yeah. and being comfortable with that role. And Denzel Mahoney like yeah. playing the five, 
you know, he's, I think afterward he told us, he's like, yeah, I just do what Matt tells me to do. That's like his favorite line. He says that a lot, but, but, but that's what, like, you need that. You need guys like that who are willing to, uh, settle into a role and, and say like, we'll do, uh, you know, Crane's got these three really dynamic and electric guards that lead the way. And then everyone else just falls in line. And when they, um, I think what did Damien say? He said something like, we don't go out of our element. We just do what we need to do, and everybody did their job. Yeah, and so that's Absolutely. and that's that's what stood out to me. And I, and I feel like when Creighton wins, that happens. Like mm-hmm. everyone sort of slots into their role, and the Jays, you know, every it feels like every wins a team win. I know that like Zagorowski and Alexander get the headlines, but like um, the other the other pieces like have such a it seems like to me it seems like to have such a profound impact in the way the game plays out even if it's not you know hitting the big shot late it's just some of the little things the way that they impact the game um is meaning it's meaningful for this team and so i find myself a lot of times after creighton wins especially after it's beaten some some of the better teams on its schedule I'm like going down the stat sheet and i'm just like man he played well he played well he played well he played well and i think it's because they're it's Within the context of what this team needs, they each player seems to have. They find what they need. They find what the team needs, and then they do it. They need what the team needs out of them, then they do it. Mm-hmm. And so, that that stood out today, and it stood out a few other times this year. Marquette for sure, and it might it might be a defining characteristic of this team as as, as the season plays out. Mm-hmm. Uh, these this next sequence of comment question is going to make you laugh because uh, it's just like a. It's just like a, another example of how like two sets of eyes can see can look at the same thing and see different things. Um, but Sam Norman comments: Aside from being a total X factor since entering the lineup, does Denzel Mahoney have the best shoulders in the Big East? Reminds me of Dwight Howard in that respect. And then Nate Thomas, to follow that up, wants to know what's the biggest reason for inconsistency in Mahoney's play? Lots of in rhythm shots today that he's missed. Bet better today. Like I feel like he was who he is today. I don't know. I think Did, that's who he's going to be. Maybe there was a I don't couple, know. What, couple, I, I guess I don't know what people were expecting because I think he has played pretty well within himself of late since yeah. those first two specifically. Maybe the middling game he was a little bit shot, a little, doing some shot hunting, maybe some more. But I think since Big East play started, he's been pretty much who they need him to be. Yeah, I think Butler maybe there was there were okay. some moments where it was like eh, maybe forcing it. And he had a couple shots in this game where during that drought. Mm-hmm. Where, I, th- I mean, I think he he did score one, but I think he maybe missed two or three. That was just kind of like maybe he forced it, but mm-hmm. I don't know. He had a big shot at Xavier, like a pull up jumper, mm-hmm. uh, when the crowd was going crazy. I think he played really well at Georgetown. I think he was arguably you could argue he was the best, most consistent player that game. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think I don't think, I think he's, he's yeah I don't think he's been terribly inconsistent. I appreciate Denzel. Uh, he snatches boards or catches inbounds passes, and he like smacks the ball. Yeah, you it's hear loud. it. Yeah. It's loud. You do like, that. Oh, he, <laughs> I don't know if he does that on purpose, but I'm like, oh yeah. You know what was that one strong? The, the loudest one today, just because of proximity, because it was so close to us, was the inbounds pass that Damian missed Marcus on the first cut. So it was like crazy. He had to was throw getting, it up. Yeah, he yeah. had to he had essentially lob it in to, and hope one of his guys caught it, and yeah. Denzel just went up and like. You know, basically crushed the ball, but you—it was really loud, and it's like that one. That one stood out to me because yeah. I know it was a simple inbounds pass, but I know, it was, like, it was really yeah. He did grab it with with authority. 
Yeah, he. I think he's he's the one thing I will say though is I think he's figuring out a little bit about like how to use his shoulders, his broad shoulders, his mm-hmm. strength to his advantage because you know he had a couple shots. He had, a, he had that shot blocked late against Villanova, where he drove and Jer- Jeremiah Robertson Earl got him, and then he had one blocked could have brought Creighton within two at Butler. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he's doing a better job of knowing how to play against that length and how to finish against that length or draw a foul. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's a there's still probably some maturation to go in terms of like you know settling in within the flow of the offense. I think there's still probably some room to grow there, but like I think there is an adjustment too of just like these guys are good athletes and he was at a lower level and he hadn't played in a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And so you see guys that you, like Creighton doesn't have a Jeremiah, Jeremiah Robinson or all on its roster. Right. He's never, he hasn't played against that guy. Um, but Bryce Nezzy, you know, yeah. they don't have that. So I think the more he plays, just the more comfortable he gets. And, and to me, I see like improvement every time. I but, do too. Yeah. But I think I, he's I, been really solid. Know, sometimes it doesn't always show up in the stats, but to me, I, I just I see a guy who's getting more and more comfortable and is emerging as a as a key piece. I mean, he was huge for the Jays today. They didn't, they wouldn't have won without him. Um, last one for us is uh, Sam Northern wants to know: Was this the most gutsy win in recent memory? What other games in the McDermott era would fall into that category? So, gutsy is our descriptor. So we to use. So that's not necessarily. Improbable or memorable, it's gutsy. Like how many, like against maybe odds of, you know, whether well, whether whether it was a better yeah. team or whether it was like a lot of or injury circumstances. I feel like the whole twenty fourteen fifteen season where everyone was gutsy, like they they beat a lot of teams and competed with a lot of teams they had no business competing with on a talent standpoint. And, um, so you have the win at Xavier, uh, the win over St. John's. I think the end of oh and ten. Start to Biggie's play, I think, was that what that was? They were over when they beat him. I know that. Um, I mean, gutsy. I think Villanova at home two years ago was Villanova. Like, that was gutsy. Lost Ronnie the like before the game. Yeah, I basically. think I think uh, at Xavier when Mo Mo Watson went down, that was a gutsy win. Yep, and they won. Uh, they, they won at Hinkle. They won at Hinkle a year. couple weeks later. That was pretty gutsy. Yeah. Um, that they had a pretty gutsy win over Providence in the Big East tournament. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd necessarily call the Xavier uh, the Xavier game too because they were down. They were down okay. late in that one. Tyler Clement hit a yeah. big three to tie it, and both of those games then both those games there. in the Big East tournament. Yeah, uh, were pretty gutsy. I'm trying to think, there were some there. I know there were a lot of like ones with Doug. Uh, the one at San Diego State stands out. That was kind of like his. Coming out party on the national stage, I think he like became a an all American in a lot of people's minds yeah. that day. But I, I've always, I've, I've, you know, I haven't covered Creighton for very long, but I always got the sense that like Dana Altman's teams kind of had that gutsy sort of gritty piece ingrained in them mm-hmm. that you kind of knew that they would be scrappy and just they'd out tough you and like. People appreciated sort of the blue collar way they went about playing the game. Yeah, and McDermott's teams haven't had that piece. 
largely because they've just been made up differently and they're going they're in a the freaking big east and like it's there's a lot of teams that have branded themselves with that as the number one sort of way we play a piece of, of their yeah. identity and yeah. that's not exactly what creighton's done but but i will say that there's a you know there's an element of that with this team mm-hmm. that shows up almost every night yeah I don't know if this is the most gutsy. I feel again. I feel like that twenty fourteen fifteen team did a lot of stuff that they probably had no business doing, mm. just from a talent standpoint. So, I mean, from an ability standpoint, Creighton probably should beat Providence at home with the talent they have this year. Yeah, but I think the reason it is going into it is going to fall into that gutsy win category is because Marcus Egermanski was compromised before the game with uh, with illness, and Tyshawn Alexander was hurt. And, yeah, there were some odds to overcome. Not to mention the fact they were down five with less than two minutes to play because a team that's right. notoriously good at finishing those types of games. I think so, Christian Bishop in foul trouble. Kelvin Jones out. Yeah, there so, were several things working against Creighton. By the way, like okay, Providence had nineteen offensive boards, which is the most by mm-hmm. a Creighton opponent this year. The Jays had more turnovers and assists, which that's only happened three or four times this year. So like the blueprint was definitely in Providence's favor. Yeah, it felt like Creighton won a Providence-style game today, which is probably mm-hmm. why it's yeah. going to go into that gutsy win category. Yeah, you know, like, but I mean, both NCAA tournament wins those first two, like the Zay, the Cincinnati and Alabama games, were both like just rugged dogfights. Yeah. They weren't very pretty games. Um, there have been a few though. I mean, the Evansville one, Senior Day, twenty twelve. We were talking about all these. Like, there are some. There are definitely more than I think people give credit for when they zoom out and they think <laughs> they think Creighton is like oh for 70 um, in games where it's just decided in the final minute or two right and it's but, not the case, well, like, but with that said this is the first time since Doug's shot against St. John's that Creighton's won a game this late with a you know buzzer beater ish ish yeah um at right. the end and I I think pretty sure I mean I wrote it that it's the first time since that Evansville game you mentioned that the Jays have won a game when they've been down it's down by two possessions mm-hmm. in the final two minutes or so mm-hmm. so it is a little bit foreign to the fan base to see yeah. the game finish like this but with that said I was talking to I think it was my editor who was like I think I think Creighton fans remember the losses more than they remember the wins. There's no, there's absolutely no question. <laughs> yeah, and so if you don't know, if you don't know that, just check my Twitter feed for the last forty eight hours. You'll see that yeah. people remember the have losses. Quite, have quite vivid memories of losses as opposed right. to the wins. Um, but yeah, th- yeah, this one's definitely going to go into a gutsy win category because of the circumstances yeah. and because of scoring time. So yeah, no question. Uh, but there there have been a few. Well, there are more than I think people can readily acknowledge on off top of mind but they're there and this team now um knows it can win those types of ball games because yeah. you know when the odds are against them as opposed to when they're playing from the lead yeah which is how the other wins happened yeah. right they were ahead well sort of right they were ahead did they have the lead? They had the lead against louisiana tech five minutes ago or something up to it got the two yeah oklahoma got the two uh, but that was like with like ten minutes ago in Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I just do it because it was it, it yeah. got to a teetering. Did Texas point. Tech ever take the lead after no, they forced Texas overtime? Tech only tied it. Yeah. So Arizona State, they were up one. Yes. With like fifty seconds left, when Ballack hit that three. Yes. And Xavier, uh, they were up two. Xavier, they they, the, the closest Xavier got was three, and three. then Tyshawn, and then uh, Creighton pushed it away. 
Tyshawn close it out. Yeah. So, yeah. This is the first time where they've had to chase... Fight, fight, where, they, where, they, where, they, where they've been chasing the lead and, and, and doing it. Yeah. And been successful. Um, okay. Uh, what's next? At DePaul. Yep. A DePaul team that smacked Butler today. Not a Butler su- team that doesn't get smacked. Yeah, not surprised. Although, though. I'm pretty sure Butler's teetering now, aren't they? That's two pretty bad defensive performances in a row. They, they, they were better defensively in the second half at DePaul today. Were they? I think so. Oh. I don't know. The stretch I watched, DePaul scored like two points in eight minutes. Oh, really? So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they were stuck on 52 for a while. The stretch I'd follow, I follow, they were they turned, a, I think, a 10-point lead into 22-point Oh, lead. did they really? So, yeah. Okay. That was the stretch I saw. Um, and Tom, Aaron Thompson got pulled, so I was like, it was mm. a really bad moment. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't see much good from Butler today, but I'll have to go back and rewatch it. But, yeah, DePaul is really good. You like them, too. Like, you're pretty high on them. But I think for good reason. They're... Well, a high, high on athleticism. I, I think that they, when they flash, they look really good. But well, I can't remember where you down. You were down on St. John's or DePaul. I can't remember which one you were down. Were you down on DePaul? I think oh, I had them ninth. Okay. Well, I mean, but going they, into the year, think about the wins they've racked up. They've smacked Iowa on the road. Uh, they've beaten Minnesota, Texas Tech. Yeah. Uh, that's it, and then and then that's Butler. it. Like, that's it. That's enough. Well, no, but that, those are good wins. Yeah, but they yeah. beat Butler pretty yeah. soundly, and they you know took Villanova to overtime in Philly. Like, that's a real legit. They should have beat Seton Hall. Are they an NCAA tournament team? DePaul. Yes. I don't know, man. Right now, probably. Actually, probably, yeah, probably. Okay. I would say right now they are, but you so, know, yeah. How many NCAA tournament teams are in the league right now? Because I don't know if Xavier is. No. No. Is Georgetown? Yes. Is St. John's? No. No? No. Not enough quality wins, right? There's West Virginia. What's Arizona in the net? Uh, not, not great. Yeah, but so they just have one quality win at MSG down to the wire. St. John's. It's a really good one. St. John's. West Virginia's yeah, metrics are really say, good. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a arguably the St. best. St. John's is, is... Non-con win in the Big East, honestly, other than Kansas. Maybe just outside. But so the league probably has six teams? Comfortably. Right? Yeah, who are we forgetting here? Like, Seton Hall, Nova, Butler. Who's the fourth best team in the league right now? Providence? From a standing standpoint? uh, Yeah, from a standing standpoint, Providence is. Um, Maybe it's only five. Yeah, I was going to say, Creighton's in today. So that's four. Um, It's Marquette in. I kind of feel like DePaul's in. Do you, do you I mean, if I said like if Marquette's I think Georgetown's in, in Marquette's in because they just won at Georgetown today, so they've won at Georgetown. Okay. They've beaten Villanova. They've I don't beaten, know if Georgetown's in. Okay, Marquette's in. They beat Villanova. In. Yeah, Marquette's in. Yeah, and I think the ball's in. And so then okay. we're talking about six, six. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I think so, I think the Paul plays well for stretches, but hasn't yeah. always been able to sustain it. Maybe today, I again, I, I didn't watch the whole game today against Butler, so maybe they. They were better at that. I like their starting five. Mm-hmm. I think they have uh, a good mix there. From a matchup, really... from a matchup standpoint, I don't feel like they're really good at stopping what Creighton does. Uh, but I don't think Creighton's going to be good at stopping, at stopping what, what Paul does. Right? Yeah, yeah. it is going to be kind of like a who can just who can just be better at what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it'll be a good game, I think. I th- but I think it was important for Creighton to win today because I don't think you want to go. I don't think you want to have. Take a loss today, another loss at home, drop to two and four, and then have to try to figure yeah. out how to beat a DePaul team that's going to be riding a lot of confidence. Yes, with the way they played at Villanova right. and the way they 
played against Butler. Um, Trying to beat a team like that. I think it's going to be a really good game. Or it should be. So Yeah. Great hasn't yeah. lost the I don't know how Tyshawn gets... Yeah, it's Tyshawn's uh, condition. Mm-hmm. We'll see what, how he feels in the next couple of days. Right. But yeah, it should be a good one. I think, you know... DePaul, defensively, they can really cause some problems with their length and athleticism. They have a lot yeah. of depth. They can they added that new kid from George Washington who didn't play today, but, I mean, he's got length and athletic. He's really bouncy, so um, they can cause creating a lot of problems. Turnovers might be the key to the it's game. It's something to watch, just, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to give... It's, it's, for me, it's not, it's not just turnovers. It's just, like, making... It's almost like playing under control and not getting sped up and just making sound plays. Because, like, if you pump fake and ball fake... Uh, and manipulate the defense with your eyes a little bit. Like you can, you can have a lot of success against the style that DePaul plays because mm-hmm. they're gonna f- like fly at jump shooters and try to block shots and collapse and sort of uh, jump passing lanes and just try to you know get some steals and stuff. Like to me, I wouldn't call it undisciplined. It's just that's they're kind of, they're just aggressive. Yes, and they have the length that a lot of times that aggressiveness pays off. Um, but that's why they're I don't know I don't I don't have the stats in front of me, but like. They're one of the best teams in the conference at forcing steals and one of the best teams in the conference at getting mm-hmm. blocks. But to combat that, you just play solid ball. And when you drive in the lane, you, you, you're under control. And when you see the defense rotating over, you penetrate and kick, and Creighton's really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that Creighton does have the the offense that can kind of neutralize some of that length. And But the Jays have to be, you know, they have to have that right balance of being aggressive but not overly aggressive to where you're, you know, driving in the heart of a defense and just getting your shot blocked or, you know, the defense rotating over and they're drawing charges, you know? So like, uh, there is sort of a fine line there, but a lot of times the Jays do find it. Um, and against DePaul in the past, they, they have found it. Uh, and defensively, it's going to be a challenge too, because Jalen Butts has gotten a lot better with his back to the basket this yes, year. And no Paul Reed is arguably the most underrated player in the league at this point, considering what he's doing and he's how I never hear his name talked about in the same breath as the Howard and Powells and yeah. the guys like that. He's the only player in the league averaging a double-double. Um, I don't know what he did today, but going into today, only yeah, player in the I league. I think he missed, like, two shots today. He yeah. had 21. Uh, leading the league in blocks, third in steals. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, to me, if this league didn't have two of the best scores in the country, he's the player of the year oh, in yeah. the league. Yeah, but it just happens. I mean. It just happens to have. He doesn't get talked about the same yeah. breath on those guys. But yeah. He's incredibly consistent. Yep, and he's Im- impactful. I mean, honestly, Matt. Like, I know we're only in January, but the all big East, the all big East first team is Howard, uh, Powell, Paul Reed, and you're at seven. Now you're at seven can play his way out of it, but mm-hmm. those four are the guys, and maybe Kamar. Yeah, I mean, there's. It's gonna be hard to knock one of those five out for sure. Those well, I mean, you got you a player of the year, so it's Kamar and probably Gillespie. Oh, that's right? true. They do yeah. the stupid thing where they add six. Yeah. So, it's so Ga- but it's Kamar, Gillespie, Yard Seven, Reed, and Palin Howard, right? Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's, that's definitely it. I right like. Now. I could see, but I don't. I I don't really. I don't see Reed falling off. No. Or Howard or Powell gonna... or uh, or Kamar. Mm-hmm. So, like. You don't seven. see. I, see, I can see Kamar. You can see Kamar. Yeah. Okay. He's very hot. And cold. Colin's on. Colin's not falling off. Unless he's not. So no. those are six players right there that, you know, if you're trying to break into that up, like there's not a lot of. I mean, those are some really good players, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. definitely. This league has some 
some some fantastic college basketball players. Now Reed's an NBA, like he's got. Reed NBA is definitely an NBA player. Potential. Arguably a lot. He, he probably is the best NBA prospect in the league, right? Paul Reed, maybe Sadiq Bay or Robinson Earl, but right now, yeah, you would say Reed today. I, I think I can make an argument for Bay and Robinson Earl being that down the road, but not right now. Because mm-hmm. I think Bay, I think Reed's better than both those guys right I now. Mean, yeah. So, yeah, as of today, he's the best NBA prospect in the league. I don't even think it's close. Jays are going to have a hard time with it. Like, I don't know. They're going to have to – I mean, I would imagine they're just going to have to double-team every post-touch. Maybe they don't. Maybe well, the they... thing about Reed is, like, he doesn't get traditional post-touches. He catches he's a the face, elbow. Yeah, he's a face-up guy. But he's also a pick-and-roll guy. And but when, a really he, but good when, guard. He's, when he's defended by a guard, a lot of times he'll yeah. catch the elbow and just bounce it with the back to the basket until he gets a place where he can do yeah. a hook shot. And... Like, honestly, you, 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 you said it perfectly, too. They're a little bit – it's not that they're undisciplined. It's just that they they play a style that's hard to just reel in from a schematic standpoint. Because it's not always they don't the plays they make aren't always within the scheme. Yeah. It's just dudes being dudes. Yeah, and reads a dude. So. Which is why sometimes it can get a little ugly. Yes, and sometimes at the end of the games, especially it doesn't <laughs> yeah. it doesn't look great. Right, but if they put you away like they did to Butler, and mm-hmm. they certainly have the potential to do that at Cre- against Creighton on Wednesday, like. You know, that's you just gotta you gotta stay within striking distance with a team like that. I think mm-hmm. uh, you look at the last few games that DePaul's had. Man, they've they've had big time surges early in games. Like they're up on Butler. They, like they ran out to a big lead against Butler. Ran out to a big lead against Nova. Like I think you can sense that there's an urgency building with that DePaul group. And so I'd imagine they get off to a good start against Creighton. It's just a matter of can the Jays either hang in there or sort of take those punches and then answer back and mm-hmm. have a chance to win at the end. I think, to me, it looks like a toss-up game. I, I, if Vegas is setting the line, I'll probably have DePaul favored by, like, three, two and a half, maybe. Yeah. Um, well, I think they were favored by three over Butler. Oh, were they really? Yeah. Like three? Oh, yeah. Shoot. Well, then maybe, like, five. I know. Uh, obviously, the, Tyshawn's health matters, but... Yeah. Kelvin Jones, too. They're going to need some... They yeah. need bodies in the in the in, right. the, in the low post. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's about it. Uh, let's plug some stuff. Um, if you haven't already, check out John's story on Tyshawn Alexander. That was like a precursor to today's game. Um, it was a good read before the game, but I think it will still be a pretty interesting read knowing what you know happened. How it played out. Yeah, I think I might actually go back and read it again because it was pretty – It was I know it was a cool read before the game, but I think going back and reading it and just like how how he said what he said and then made it happen. Like that's a I – like, I like when athletes like, you know, talk to – or walk to talk, you know what I'm saying? Like where yeah. they say they need to do this and this and this. And then they go out and do this and this and this. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's gonna. I, I'm I definitely. I, appreciate I, I definitely want to go back and read it again because I think I'm, he he basically told the truth. Yeah, he was so honest about it, yeah. and I was like, you know, I think it was, it was funny because you didn't think he was gonna be that honest because of the camera. Because normally yeah. the guys are more measured in what they say in front of the right. cameras versus what they'll say in a one-on-one conversation. But he was just like he, he totally owned it. Open. He was just yeah. like that wasn't George game was not who I want to be. And it's interesting, too, because he talked about a lot of the things that he talked about that wasn't there against Georgetown, whether it's, like, body language, attitude, like, encouraging teammates just being engaged. Like, that's what 
plagued him at times last year, and he spent all offseason trying to eliminate that from his game. And I thought for the over the whole on the whole of the season, he's done a great job of that. Like he's impacted the game in other ways, not just scoring. And that was sort of his. He's like, if I miss two in a row, I don't want to be down on myself. Um, and so I think I don't know. I I, I was I was a. Uh, I felt sort of like honored in a way that to relay that storyline to to Creighton fans because of the way that he was so open about you know his shortcomings mm-hmm. I guess and taking accountability and trying to be better and so I think I I'm sure the fans appreciate sort of his mentality and and yeah like you said he backed it up today mm-hmm. so that's yeah you need to check that out. If you haven't already, do you have anything else um, writing-wise coming up um, that you have? Let's see. Yeah. On? Well, I think I'm going to try to write. Trap you if you don't. So well, no, I think I'm going to try to write some on the pink out game, and okay. uh, if I can chat with Damien, I'd like to talk to Damien a little bit. They're okay. going home. I mean, he's going home to Chicago, so yeah. I thought it might be a good time to sort of visit with Damien. So be on. You the mean the Butler game wasn't his homecoming game? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how many no. Times, how many times? <laughs> We should have. We should have. We should clip out all the ridiculous like things that have been said on broadcasts that are just completely inaccurate. A lot of times, I mean, these guys are. I would working have hard. like a fifty-minute supercut. Yeah, like, they're working hard. You know, obviously they they do they they don't follow just one team yeah. as as announcers. But yeah, a lot of times it's just funny because they'll just say th- something that's that's a hundred that it sounds like a hundred percent fact. Yeah, and I'm at home. It's, I'm like, nope. <laughs> It's funny because my reactions are never that quick. Mine are always like I kind of get lost in the game, and I tune out the commentary just because it's driven me. Especially like if it's a Dickie Simpson's broadcast, like I just can't. Basically, ninety percent of what that guy says is like, that's just not even. What are you talking about? But sometimes I'll be watching a game, and I'll like hear something. They'll say something that's like not even that just misses the entire target itself, and it'll take me like a uh, like a half of a play to be like, wait, what? Like did that? And I have to rewind and be like, oh my god. Um, so yeah, yeah but it, Damian Jefferson. Uh, contrary to the uh, words the spoken <laughs> during the Butler broadcast, <laughs> is not from Indianapolis. He's from East Chicago, <laughs> which is just outside of Chicago. It's the Indiana side, the Indiana yeah. suburbs of Chicago. So this will so. be the homecoming. Yes, this is commentary a, game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't. I, I can't remember if he played at DePaul last year or not. I know he's banged up. I, I think he might have been. That was a Connor Cashaw game, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I don't yeah. think he played much in that game. So either. I think I wanted to kind of chat with him. Cool. So look for that. And then uh, Nebraska play today, so you and Hetty will be podcasting. We might be. I don't know. Okay, next week's going to be kind of – I latched that one onto it. It's just – next week's going to be – Yeah, it's almost, ba- it's almost baby time for Mr. Niatabo over yeah. here. So basically We've any gotta, second, right? Is she on the clock at this point right now? Our due date was Wednesday. Yeah. It was two days ago. Two days ago, right. Yeah. So your baby's late. Yep. So he's just chilling. So I don't want to come out yet. Yeah, it's really cold outside. I don't know. You know what? The snow probably scared him. He's like, he was going to be like, yo, let's go. And then right. it's like, wait a minute. What, how, 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 what's the temperature outside? Like, what the, I'm not coming bringing out. Bringing me into the world yeah. like this? I'm not That's shoveling. Dirty. Yeah, our power went out today. Really? Yeah, it was like 55 degrees in our house. So. Yeah, see, he's not about that life. No. Yeah, he's like, nah, give me nine more months. Right. When's the summer? Right. <laughs> Can I wait six more months? All right. What's the latest baby's ever been delivered? I don't know. Our doctor won't let us go past 41 weeks. So. Okay, so he's going to go in there and yeah. get it. Okay, well, it's almost baby some, time for missing Ottawa, so... Some doctors go 42. Yeah, so. but, I mean, say a prayer, everything goes right. Um, healthy babies, healthy mother. 
Yeah, for um, sure. And same father, right? Because he's gonna he's been a little basketball season, so the workload is heavy, and the baby right. will add to that. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a fun couple couple months for sure. Um, but yeah, so that's why I'm like a little bit hesitant to plug some stuff that might be coming because yeah, <laughs> you might miss those deadlines by a few yeah, right. months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some stories may be put on the back burner yeah. for a little bit, but I'll get to them eventually. I will, I promise. Oh, I'm trying to think like what, what could you do like that could be like the tied to becoming a father for the first time? Could you write about that? Would you write about that? I don't like writing about myself very much, okay. so. You want me to write about it? Want me to interview uh, you? No, Talk to you? that's that's all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll I don't share, know if you were hinting at that. Like I don't want to. No. Do that, I'll share some stories on the podcast. Yeah, that, we'll definitely talk about. We'll definitely the next next podcast after the delivery. We'll definitely have to talk about the moment. Yeah, seeing your son for the first time, trying to make you cry on the podcast. Mm, that's gonna be tough, man. Well, it's I haven't not, cried in a hey, while. Hey, listen, I have to set goals for myself too. Okay. okay. Um. Yeah, also, uh, com. just plug a few things that I think are worth your time. Uh, two stories on Jalen, one story on Jalen Agnew, one story on Olivia Elger. Elger? I always say her name wrong. All these years, five years, I get it figured out. Olivia Elger and Jalen Agnew, um, just two features on, like, you know, two different careers, uh, but two meaningful ones at the same time. Uh, I think you need to go check those out just because those two – um, you know, I think I think Creighton fans would be proud of those two. You know, like if you just want when you think about what you want in uh, a player that comes into the program and and leaves their mark on it in a certain in different ways. I think they've done all the different ways to do it. Really, I mean, Olivia's played through several injuries, continues to do so. Um, and goes out there even when she's not at her best and tries to help the team. Um, and Jalen has gone from maybe a raw prospect into possibly a professional basketball player and really improved her skill set, but also had to deal with some adversity along the way as well. So I think they have two pretty different stories, but two pretty interesting stories. And I tried my best to convey that. So check those out at whiteandbluereview.com. They yeah, are good, actually back you, at home. I was going to say, you did a good job. Oh, thank you. you. Should, people should, check, should read those. Yeah. So they are back at home next weekend against Xavier and Butler. And the Xavier game, the, the Butler game I won't hold fans too much accountable for because that one's going to be at noon. And the pickout game for the men's going to be at 3. So you can easily it's fine if you don't want to fill the place for that one. But the Xavier game is at 7 o'clock on Friday. Football season's over. You have no freaking excuses not to... Yeah. Go see these kids play because um, they have one, two, four, six home games left um, in their careers. So go check them out. Seven o'clock on Friday against Xavier, and then if you want a doubleheader on um, on Sunday, go to the Butler game before the Pink Out game for the men, um, and then check out those stories on WhiteAndBlueReview dot com. Uh, we'll have this podcast. We'll have post game coverage from this game. Uh, on whiteandbluereview.com, and John will have his post-game coverage as well on omaha.com, plus possibly another half-court press podcast with uh, Chris Hetty to look forward to. So until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for your questions. Thank you for your comments. We hope everybody has a great weekend, and we will talk to you again. Pink out Sunday. Yeah, pink out game. So we will. So maybe I'll take you guys' tats for your – Attendance, so I'll be watching at the women's game. So if you don't be yelled at. <laughs>
good with. Thanks, everybody.